but the act of empathy and the ability to make choices based on how you affect the world and the people around you, that is learned. Welcome to the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, a parent coach and 20-year childcare veteran. Each week, I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles, or in other words, how to parent your kids without losing your mind or traumatizing theirs. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five. So be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at Jenny at JennyB.co. Let's get started. Hello, hello, connection over control. This might be my favorite week, you guys. This is a big one. This is the number one pillar of relational parenting. When we prioritize our relationship with our child, even in the hardest moments, our child learns to trust us. The strongest bonds are built in the most harrowing of times, and this applies to our kids too. In this episode, we talk about the importance of spending joyful time creating connection with our kids as well. This episode lays the foundation for everything else to come. And I am beyond excited to share it with you. All right. So we are here today talking about our topic today is using connection over control in our parenting. So how to parent through difficult moments using connection and healthy conflict skills instead of power and control. So in relational parenting, one of our not one of our biggest goal is to maintain the connection in the relationship, even when things are really hard or we're in conflict or um, our kid is having really big emotions about something that we don't think warrants big emotions or whatever it might be. Um, Maintaining that connection instead of worrying about getting a behavior to stop or getting a specific response from our kids. So yeah, so we're prioritizing the connection during the hard moments. Um, The reason that this is so important and why it's one of my pillars of relational parenting is that we create bonds and trust, deeper bonds and trust, um, during the hard times, during conflict, than we do even in the joyful moments. So creating creating joyful moments and connecting with your children and building your relationship with your children in that way is also extremely important and necessary for having, for any relationship, um, is experiencing things and finding joy together. But the place that we really root down in our relationships into trust and lifelong bond is through moments of difficulty or really big emotions or 
really big behaviors when we're talking about kids. Yeah. So, okay. So it creates trust and deeper bonds and we're adding to our children's confidence as well, because this, when we allow our children to have their big feelings and especially when they're small and they have big feelings, which usually leads to big behaviors like tantrums or screaming or hitting or any of those things. When we allow those things to happen when they're small and we greet them with understanding and calm and curiosity and problem solving when they're little, then they are able to feel safe in their environment. They're able to feel like they can be honest about their big feelings and they learn through your example and through teaching once they're calm they learn that just because they have a big emotion it doesn't mean that they can also have big behaviors and so by the time they're big enough to cause harm with their behaviors they've learned not to do that they've learned healthier coping skills which means that you the parent get a child who feels safe heard and understood and that means they're going to cooperate with you much easier than a child who feels scared or powerless or disconnected from the most important person in their life. Um, And it also, just fun fact, it actually takes longer to have the power struggle with your kid, to have the argument, to shut them down, to send them to their room, to force the coat or the shoes onto their feet. It takes longer and more energy and more frustration to do all of that than it does to take a deep breath, regulate yourself, and calmly comfort your child, reassure your child, and then problem solve together. Um, It sounds, it feels hard, and it sounds harder, but it actually takes, in general, less time, less time to do that, and it keeps you connected and doesn't cause a break in the relationship. And those repetitive breaks um, when our kids are really young are detrimental to the parent-child relationship. And then as the child grows, those breaks just keep growing. So yeah, sometimes the uh, you know there sometimes there is an urgency, right? You know, kids about to run out in front of a car. <laughs> no, that's that's the time to grab them. Other times, you know, you have to, how do I want to handle this so that the, uh, to keep things calm, you know, and, and get through it as, as quickly as possible. It takes a little practice to get, and I know I've made the wrong choice, made a choice I wish I'd made different dealing with something right now as opposed to spending an extra minute to get done and and then learn. They don't so much learn it right then. You're not passing on the regulation. And, and uh, right then, it's when the kids, I remember um, your brother, he'd they'd fall and watch other little kids. They'll fall and skin their knee, and they get up and they turn and look at their parents when they're real little to see how they should react, right? It doesn't. They don't learn it right there when when you're on the way to church or you know whatever work. Um, they they it, it kind of it consolidates with them the next time that happens, and now they you know now they have a memory to work on. The idea is to 
get as many of those kind of memories as opposed to come here, put on your coat, let's go, you know, I'm the, I'm the big person, you're the little person, do it my way, uh, kind of stuff. And it gets easier as they get older, you know, you don't have to keep doing that. Well, and there's, that's a really great example because that's one of like the classic ones that, that most people know about, um, is when a kid falls down, like they look at the people around them to see like, oh, something big just happened. Like, am I scared? Am I hurt? Am I whatever? And I, yeah, that that's such a great example. And they're doing that. It's so obvious in, in that moment. And that's such a great example. Um, and that's why a lot of people know about it, but they're doing it. They're doing that 24 seven. Like even when they're playing, they've got one ear on you or they've got one eyeball on you or whatever. Little like tape recorders. Yeah. Like we always joke, you know, our moms always joke. I've got eyes in the back of my head, you know, no, you know, kid, you know, kids are like, how did you know what I was doing or whatever? And, I, I think kids have eyes in the back of their head and kids have like, they don't even know that they're doing it, but they're absorbing literally everything around them. And so they are constantly watching their parents, their caregivers and mimicking. And I mean, just think about babies when you're, you know, you're holding a baby in front of you and you're face to face and you're trying to get the baby to, you know, raise their eyebrows or stick their tongue out or stick smile, its tongue out. Like, yeah giggle like babies, like they will, they try to copy you. They mimic you. That's how they learn how to live. And so if every time your kid has a big emotion and is letting it out through crying or yelling or saying no, or hitting you or their sibling or themselves or whatever it is, if every time they do something like that, you react with like urgency and freaking out and like trying to stop them and and whatever, that's what the, that's what they're going to learn to do. And so those tantrums are never going to go away, though, um, unless it's fear based, unless they're you know, afraid to throw a tantrum. Um, but those, the way that they handle their own emotions is going to follow them into adulthood, um, and that's how they're going to handle their emotions in all of their relationships and with themselves for the rest of their lives, unless they were to, you know, get therapy or a coach or whatever and, and learn to do it differently. Um, Unlearn some of the stuff as children. You know, what we, what we, we tend to parent, unless we work at it, we tend to parent with what we picked up as kids. And, yeah. you know, that's why people are always saying, oh, I'm never going to be like my, my parent in some way yeah. or another. Right. And then, you catch yourself being like your parent. I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. And uh, best best not to put it in the head in the first place. And even if it's not perfect, as little as possible, you know, working at it makes things, makes the world a better place. You know, just, you don't have to be perfect at it. Progress, not uh, perfection kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah. you said, you know, that they have in that moment when you respond calmly and then teach, you know, once everyone has been heard and everyone has calmed down and then you take the mo a moment to teach or problem solve with your child, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily then that the next time they have a big emotion, they're going to just magically be able to handle it. But what's going to happen through repetition 
is they're going to start building those memories, those, 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 and, and that will become a habit and that will turn into their ability to self-regulate eventually. Um, you also said something else that I wanted to make sure and expand on, which was the alternative being like, you're trying to get in the car, you're late for school, kid won't get their shoes on or whatever. And, and you just pick them up, you know, throw them under your arm and carry them and get them in the car seat and like, just physically like force them. Um, and you're not necessarily hurting them, but you are taking away their choice, their voice, their autonomy, all it's of those a power things. Thing. Yeah. And you are, you're taking, you're, you're controlling them. You are, um, making them powerless. You are forcing them to do something. And one, that's terrifying to anyone. Um, and two, that also with repetition will teach that child that if they don't want to do something, the only force that's going to make them do it is someone outside of themselves or a situation outside of themselves that forces them to do it. And instead of having a conversation with the caregiver about why we need to go, like, here's, here's A, B, and C, or here's what's happening. Here's the timeline. Here's why. And really like describing what's going on, why we need to get there. You know, school is, they don't just wait on one person. There's a group of students there ready to learn and we need to respect everyone's time. Right. And so really, really giving, you know, even a a three-year-old can understand that conversation and giving them the why behind what we're doing will teach them to be able to have discipline and put effort into things and respect other people's time when they're older. And the choice is up to them. There's no one forcing them to do things. If they don't ever learn how to do that when they're young, they're going to really struggle with it when they're older and when they're adults and they're going to, you know, be flaky or just not show up or, you know, all the different things. I think that's, that's a real important point is you want to be careful about putting yourself in the position of being at the mercy of a two-year-old in the middle of a meltdown to make good choices. Nobody makes good choices in the middle of a meltdown or an upset but you do want to teach them to make good choices you know and let them know it's their choice how this ends or whatever but here here are the criteria and to some age appropriate extent got a nap to an age appropriate extent you uh make it get them get them to buy in to the program that's at hand yeah that the buy-in the intrinsic motivation that we want like i certainly i i personally don't have the intrinsic motivation the level of intrinsic motivation and discipline that i wish i had you know and i've been an adult for a very long time and i've done 
my own, you know, taken responsibility for that and, and done my own work with that and whatnot. But I know that growing up, whether it was through your, like your parenting, I don't have like a specific memory about any of that, but I know that like I was, you know, there was school and I know that it was like, you needed to show up on time. And if you were tardy, there were um, consequences. And if you, you know, and, and I was kind of always, I was kind of always externally motivated growing up. And I still am today. I'm I'm very motivated by the expectations of others. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but as I've grown as an adult, I also have like, I know people who have not respected my time and that's been really frustrating. And so I don't do that to other people now because that's intrinsically motivated in me to not waste other people's times and to show mm-hmm. up on time for appointments and et cetera, et cetera, outside of like the consequence of like, Oh, your appointment's going to be canceled or you're going to be charged, you know, whatever, um, like a late fee or whatever it is. But I I've developed in adulthood the intrinsic motivation to not waste other people's time time because it's been yeah. done to me. Um, being considerate. Yeah. Being considerate, but that can start, that can start so much younger. Like that can be taught, you know, a lot of parenting, especially when I was a kid, a lot of parenting was, you know, you're given a choice between, uh, do what I say, or there's a consequence. Like that was the choice that kids were given was you either you can, you know, you have two choices, do it this way or (laughs) you're in trouble. And that's not, that's not a, that's not a real choice, right? There's no actual choice there for the child. Um, Giving choices is, is giving two actual like equal choices, neither of them being a punishment. Um, And I think that that type of parenting you know, led to me being that type of parenting, that type of just like the like social environment was set up that way too. And the, yeah, there was a lot of like, like external motivation. I was not an internally motivated child yeah. at yeah. all. I wanted that to please people. A... I wanted to do the right thing so that I would be a good kid and show up on time and get good grades and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it, it externally created good circumstances for me. So like the goal was achieved, but then as an adult who wasn't being told what to do all the time, wasn't being handed a, you know, a, a list and a next step. And, you know, I had to like go out in the world and create my life. I was just like, what do I do now? <laughs> There's nobody to yeah, just not prepared. Please yep. and show up for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny how our personalities <clears throat> are formed. You studied it more than I have, but yeah, people who are I don't I wouldn't know how to create an intrinsically motivated person. Really, because I'm like a dutiful employee. You know, it makes makes it hard for me to be a entrepreneur like you because it's you know I'm looking for a system to plug myself into and excel in 
rather than heck what the world thinks. I'll make my own system, you know. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. When I've wanted to, I've had business ideas since I was 25, so like nine years, yeah. eight, nine years now. And I think partially I wasn't ready to be an entrepreneur and I dabbled. Yeah. Like little side gigs while I had, um, while I had full-time jobs or whatever. And but I always felt like something, I've always felt like something was missing. I've always felt like there was something else I was meant to be doing. And so, you know, I obviously, I had lots of business ideas over those years, but I think I finally found the one I'm, you know, meant to be doing because it's what I've been passionate about my whole life. But uh, it has not been super easy like it hasn't been easy at all it's been like because I grew up following rules following um a template of what life is supposed to look like and doing all of the right things and then realizing my level of life satisfaction was like gone <laughs> And, you know, and figuring out what I actually want my life to look like and what I actually want to do with it and, you know, all those things. And that's been just in the last four or five years or so. And so that's just, that's been so hard to break out of that, like plug into a system and just do it the way it's been done, you know? So, yeah, so that's, you know, an added, an added benefit of, of not just keeping the relationship healthy with your kids, uh, not just creating lifelong bonds and emotional intelligence for your children to have throughout their lives, but also we're creating intrinsic motivation. And you said a minute ago that you weren't sure how to do that. And the secret is empathy. So when we, uh, when we show empathy, when we, you know, set the example of giving empathy to our children, our children then become capable of Hmm. being empathetic. And the way that you become intrinsically motivated is knowing how something feels when it happens to you and not wanting to do that to other people. So, or understanding a concept of how it's feels or how it hurts or whatever to someone else. And then deciding you get to decide what kind of person you're going to be. And so, you know, if children are given the chance, especially from a young age to, they're given the example of what empathy looks like and how they should be treated. And because how our parents treat us, set us up for our expectations from friends and partners in life. If we give our kids a really strong example of being treated well, being loved, being understood, being empathized with, uh, then our children naturally will learn that and they will start to catch on to that and be able to give that to other people. Um, We don't come out empathetic people. Like we don't, 
we aren't born with empathy. Empathy is learned. And there are, you know, some people argue that that, you know, my, my kid is super sensitive to everyone around him and he feels everything that we feel. And, and yes, like there are levels of, of sensitive and tuned in that different children have built into their personalities. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the act of empathy and the ability to make choices based on how you affect the world and the people around you, that is learned. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's an important distinction. Being sensitive is different than attributing sensitivity to other people and valuing, recognizing that, understanding the value of recognizing that you know, a psychopath or whatever, I'm sure they have, and I'm throwing around, around terms I don't understand technically, but, um, you know, they have an emotional life. Uh, I think it is psychopathy, psychopath mm -hmm. that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't see any, doesn't have any emotional, well, I guess that maybe that is, they don't have any emotional uh, attachment to other people or something, you know, something where you, you can have a, you can have an emotion, but you don't necessarily understand that other people are having exactly the same emotions you are and reacting to things like you mm -hmm. probably do. Difference between us and them. I guess babies do that too. You know, you have to learn the difference between yourself and other people. Yeah. Cause you're, I mean, you're, you know, a common, again, a common example of a two-year-old or a three-year-old hitting a younger sibling, you know, and the reaction is, oh, no, no, don't do that. You're going to hurt her. You're going to hurt them. They don't <laughs> necessarily understand what that means. <laughs> and you can yeah, even say, of course I was. <laughs> and you can even say, like, do you like it when you get kicked? You know, if maybe they're, they, you know, the sister has kicked them accidentally or they have a friend who has kicked them. You can even like bring up that concept and be like, do you like it when you get kicked? Uh, and they'll be like, no. And they're like, well, she doesn't like it when she gets kicked. And they might logically understand that, but emotionally that connection is still not there. Like their brain isn't capable of right. it yet, but through repetition and, uh, setting the example, they will learn it. Um, but only if they're taught. Yeah. So, and that's a good yeah. example, I think, with some something serious. You know, a, a three-year-old hitting a two-year-old, there's, there's a minimal amount of damage probably going to happen there. But you, want, but you want your child to learn not to do that by the time they're 20. Right. You know, and... Uh, uh, so that's where the, that's where the, your regulation as a parent, you know, where it's handy to be more mature than your child. Uh, it's a word we haven't used, I guess, mature maybe. Um, but to engage, take a chance to get your, engage your kid and, and get some cooperation, explain why for the millionth time maybe, but explain and uh, get things calmed down and show them how to show them how to do that. You know. Yeah, and if it is the millionth time, 
you know, you involve your child in that conversation and that problem solving and ask questions instead of just preaching, talking at them again and again and again. I've said this Mm -hmm. 800 times, like once everyone has calmed down and we're going to walk through some age specific examples of how to handle these situations in a second. Um, But once everyone has calmed down, instead of being like, we don't hit because that hurts people. Remember, instead of saying that, because they know, they know, and they don't have self-control at certain ages and it's going to happen. So make me like, remember, don't you remember? Like, that's just going to cause shame, which was our last episode. Um, (laughs) But instead, you know that they know the answer, ask questions and ask them to problem solve with you because that pulls them into a place of emotional maturity and they're not just hearing it for the 400th time and they're not just watching your example. They are now able to verbalize the logic and the rationale behind why we don't hit. Uh, and that gives them a third uh, sensory, you know, input and slash output uh of learning and that's going to help solidify that learning and that memory in their brain for the next time too. Uh, It's also going to help them feel really good about themselves. When kids are invited into the problem solving conversation, they feel accomplished and that builds their confidence and it makes them not want to do it next time because now they've proven like I know better and like yep. I learned something and I was able to tell it to you and it motivates them intrinsically to not do it again. Kids like to be grown up. Look how grown up yeah, I am. I'm acting always. like a grown up. The yeah. trick, the trick when you're explaining or the goal, when you're taking the time, investing the time, I like to think of it as an investment. I'm spending time with my child here, quality time. Mm-hmm. You know, for two minutes or five minutes, if they're if they're little or even if you're big, you know, if they need comforting, okay, nobody thinks straight when they're upset. We got to get the upset dealt with, and uh, not let it be a not let it be a control thing. But it's like, okay, now everybody's thinking straight. The goal is to get them thinking, and then mm-hmm. they then they can process themselves. Yeah, and then it sticks. Then it then it's you only have to say it three hundred times, not four hundred. Right. Well, I think most I think most people would agree that you learn something faster when you experience it for yourself than if someone just tells you, you like yeah. that's dangerous, don't do it, <laughs> or like don't date, you know, that's a you know, don't be bad boys, don't date that type of person, <laughs> you know, or yeah. whatever. Like you you learn things more deeply and profoundly when you learn it yourself. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I want to, I want to touch on, uh, a couple examples of a few different age groups here. So we tend to spend, and I tend to spend a lot of time in the zero to five age group because that's where, you know, all of this, all of this begins at birth. Um, and so I tend to spend a lot of time in that zero to five age range because if we can, if we can get in and, and do this inside of those years, those crucial developmental years, it sets you up for success for the rest of 
their childhood. Um, but you can absolutely turn things around no matter what age your child is at, even if they're adults, there's repair and healing that can be found. So, but zero to five. So, um, in the zero to five range, big feelings are often expressed through loud vocalizations, big body movements, tantruming, lashing out at siblings or parents. Um, and at this age, kids have very little self-control ability. They are developmentally incapable of self-regulation. Um, empathy and understanding. So we have to greet them with empathy and understanding first. Um, so we have to address feeling the feelings first before we can address the behavior and teach anything. Um, kids at this age, they have no prefrontal cortex. Um, so they are operating in survival mode. If there's anything that we learn in zero to five and you remember and take away from this is that zero to five-year-olds are in survival mode at all times. So they are in the lizard brain, <laughs> they are taking in their environment, they are scanning for danger, and they are learning what and who they can trust in the world. And is my world mm -hmm. a safe place? Mm -hmm. And so at this age, it's all co-regulation. It is all watching parents and caregivers and learning from them and then watching how they respond to you when you have big feelings. And from that, they are going to regulate accordingly. So they're either going to regulate to your fear and your yelling and your control and your power struggle, or they're going to regulate to your calmness, your curiosity, your gentleness, your understanding, and then they're going to they're either going to learn that or they're going to learn the power struggle. Um, so then we move into the six-year-old to 12-year-old. I saw you write something down for that age group. Is there something you wanted to? No, I was just making a note of the, of the terms, co-regulation, you know, where, where you're doing it together. Mm. Um, that's an interesting, that's a, I hadn't heard that one before. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, so that kids, wasn't like a note to say something later. Kids at that age, they can't, they can't regulate themselves. They don't, they've never yeah. learned. They don't know how. So they are running if on, you know, if our, if our brains were a gas tank and in order to, well, that metaphor died just as quickly as it popped into my head. <laughs> the thought um, that came to my mind was there's a, you know, you'll have a new baby getting passed around on an older one. Little babies usually aren't a problem, but, you know, kids are okay as long as they're sitting on their mom and dad's lap, especially mm -hmm. mom's lap. Um, and then you come up and oochie, woochie, coochie, coo, and they, they look at you and then they, then they melt down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I didn't do anything, but it's, you know, there's something going on. They didn't let, you know, you reminded them of something or surprised well, you them either, or whatever yeah, you it was. came out of the peripherals or you happen to just be scary to them. They've yeah. never seen someone who looks like you yet. Like they've, they're very yeah. new. Everything yeah. is that you just grab their cheek, like, and they're just like, what is happening right now? Yeah. 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 So that's just, you know, so mom, Mom is there, you know, it's good to have co co-regulation and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's okay. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, 
let them calm down and try again later, maybe. Yeah. I thought I liked that term, co-regulate. Yeah, well, they, so we learn how to regulate ourselves and our emotions and our nervous systems. And when something scares us or something really upsets us or whatever, like when we're born, you know, like I said, we're in survival mode. We're trying to make sure we have a full belly. We're trying to make sure we aren't sitting in our own feces. We're trying to make sure that we get enough sleep <laughs> and every, and then anything that we visually, you know, all the sensory intake. So the things that we touch, the things that we see, the things that we hear, um, things that we taste, all of those things tell us, send us signals like you're safe. You're not safe. You're safe. You're not safe. Yeah. And until yeah. you get exposed to enough things in life to start to learn what's safe and what's not, you mm -hmm. require a caregiver to give you that physical closeness, closeness and that emotional verbal feedback of like, you're safe. I'm right here. I know that was mm -hmm. scary. It's okay. I'm right here. Like, you know, so the empathy, the empathy and the, and the co-regulation, the physical co-regulation, um, as well as the verbal co-regulation, it co just means to, it just means that they're not doing it by themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Leading the way. But in order to have, in order to be able to co-regulate with your child, you also have to be able to self-regulate. <sighs> That's the secret. Yeah. Um, and that is the hard part, right? Yep. So moving on to our six to 12 year old kiddos. So we've been in the world for a while. We've met lots of people. Maybe we've, you know, started going to school. Uh, we have friends. We're learning lots of things outside of the home. We're, we're in that cognitive social area. Um, and so big feelings are often expressed through things like arguing, defiance, negotiating, crying, or secluding um, themselves, internalizing their feelings or, and, or blaming others for what happened, whatever the situation might be. So blaming mom and dad, blaming sibling, blaming friend, blaming teacher, things like that. And so, um, so generally in a six, in six to 12 year olds, they know logically and rationally what to do, but their feelings are still bigger than their self-control some of the time. And so our expectation of six to 12 year olds, you know, raises, and especially there's a huge difference between six year olds and 12 year olds. Um, but our expectations go up, right? We've taught, we've co-regulated, you know, they know in their minds what's okay and what's not and what causes harm and different ways of coping with different emotions, but their prefrontal cortex is still under, is still not fully developed. Um, and they still need help and some co-regulation. And a lot of the time in this age group that happens through curiosity questions and pulling them into the problem solving process. So yeah. we, we start we start pulling kids into the problem solving process when they're little, that zero to five age, but this six to 12, the cognitive leaps that happen um, in six to 12 year olds really start to give them that ability for rational thought and logical 
um, you know, an abstract consequential thinking. So they're able to, you know, have like a real, like almost like an adult conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So the, the, the touchy part here at this eight, at this age is their ability for abstract thinking has developed um, that can also mean they're now capable of starting to have things like self-shame and self-worth issues. And so we can cause shame and self-worth issues in zero to five-year-olds, but in general, a zero, a zero to five-year-old brain is not thinking to themselves, I'm so bad and I, sh you know, I shouldn't have done that. And um, like a little bit, it starts a little bit in that age group. Um, but this six to 12 year old age group is really when that capability, uh, you know, develops in the brain. Um, and so this babies, is, babies have to learn that they're separate than their parents or something, mm -hmm. don't they? There's like an age. I know it doesn't happen at a certain age for everybody. And that's why parents are so important is because the parents, the only one that really keeps track of those details in mm -hmm. development of each child. And, uh, yeah, but that, you know, the kids are unaware that they, that they're a person for a long time yeah. until they get older and they can, you can start to start to rationalize with them, start to yeah. coach them that. So that, so yeah, so that abstract thought of like, I'm me and you're you and they're learning, you know, that the things that I do, like how I affect the world around me, if I do this, then this happens. When mm -hmm. I do that, that happens. And mm -hmm. they're really starting to like put all those pieces together. Um, and so making sure here that we are still offering empathy when there, when big emotions happen, we're, we're offering empathy, we're giving understanding and saying, I, hear you, that sounds frustrating. Um, you know, I understand how you feel, validating their feelings, things like that. And then, and then again, once everyone's calm and feels heard and understood, that's when we can teach. That's when we can ask that's when questions. Teaching. Yeah. That's when yeah. problem solving happens and making sure that, that we're validating feelings without justifying behavior but making the feelings wrong is what's going to cause that like self-shame and self-doubt and yeah. lack of self-worth yeah um being like i shouldn't have you know that's not something that's not something to cry over that's you know there's starving kids in africa and you have a meal on your plate why are you crying over not wanting to eat spaghetti like that's yeah. that's not that's going to cause major self-shame issues not the best, the not the best approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then we enter teenage years, everyone's favorite. Uh, so we're entering the teenage years. And so here, big feelings are often expressed through yelling, arguing, breaking boundaries and rules. Um, yep. so showing that I'm independent, showing that I can do that. You can't control me, that I can make my own choices and make my own decisions. Um, rebellion, and rebellion but it's like rebellion they, isn't 
isn't a necessary part of being a teenager. Mm-hmm. Make no, I get independence that. Yes. Independence. And that's the point I was making. I love that six to 12 or, or, you know, that when they're, they've got some, your kid has developed some basic confidence. Now you're really, now you're really training them. And now they're really watching you on a conscious effort. You know, you drink beer. Why can't I? And, mm-hmm. and, and you, you start to get to really talk with them. And then they, I always thought of it as building conf- competence in you guys. After a few years of that, they get to an age where they, okay, I know where the boundaries are and I want to be different or whatever the motivation is. And, and that's, if at that point, all they've been taught is, is, uh, do, do what, do what dad does or you get a whack or whatever, you know, if it's just, uh, parents way or the highway and they want to exert their newfound competence, you know, like, Hey, I can drive. See you sit in the driver's seat and turn a key and hit the gas pedal. I can, I can do that, you know, and they'll, they'll start to act out, I guess, partly for attention, but partly just to exert their independence and, and back to, I look how grown up I am. I can do these things. And that's sometimes that turns into like rebellion. And uh, it's better that they think about things, you know, to, up to that point, it's better if you've taught them to think about things and have a reason for what they're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the teenager, I look, I look at that whole age group uh, as kind of a continuum. It's not a, you know, there's not, I guess there's steps. You notice kids develop and, and, you know, you turn around and you go, wow, you, you know, I've just noticed you've grown up a lot since yesterday, you know, so it kind of clicks in a notch. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that whole, that whole, that whole age range from I'm a baby to, you know, I'm gone, uh, living my own life now. That's all, that's a big continuum to me of picking up skills, picking up regulation. You know, it's uh it's a long, slow slide. And I, they're all my favorite. They're all, they're all my favorite. Uh, stages too i just i yeah. just love watching kids and find, seeing where they're at and and doing that i do that to kids i run into probably i'm probably over parental but i just love watching kids develop and helping them develop and uh, seeing how they develop differently you know they get more personality as they get older yeah and you're right there it is a continuum so i broke this down broke this down for just for the sake of examples and people who are in the middle of parenting different age groups, but, um, it's the skill is the same, no matter how old they are. So the, um, offering empathy and understanding and, and validating feelings, you have to do that no matter how old somebody is zero 1795. That's why there's value in teaching it is because there's, you know, yeah, it never goes away. Um, But how you do that depends on the age appropriateness of different things. So in 18 year olds, you know, if all they've known is like you said, do what dad tells you to do or do what mom tells you to do. 
if they've never learned intrinsic motivation or value or learned how to think about their choices. They've just been told what to do and you need to do it. Then by the time they're 13 and 18 and those very natural instincts of independence and making my own choices kick in, then they're not going to know how to make good choices. And all they're mm-hmm. going to know is that I'm going to do the opposite of whatever you say. That's right. Because I'm, you know, hormones and brain development and like, it's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to start learning how to be independent and kids are yep. going to do what they are meant to do at the age they're meant to do it, whether you, the parent are prepared for it or not. And yeah. so we need to, we need to stop trying to put kids into a box and make them be a certain thing. And we need to shift our parenting to accommodate who our child is. And that requires us to be regulated, emotionally intelligent people. And unfortunately, a lot of us were not raised to be regulated, emotionally intelligent, Mm -mm. Mm -mm. right? Because you have to be, you have to be in tune with yourself in order to tune into, to someone else even your own kid. Um, like there's no magic. There's no, you know, there's, there's oxytocin and there's a bond created when, when a child is born, but there's, there's no magic switch that turns on when you become a parent, you're still the person you were before that baby was born. And if you don't learn these skills and you learn how to be regulated and calm and curious, you can't tune in to the creature that your child already is. Um, And you will just go off of your instinctual survival, how you were parented and how you, you know, you're, you're going to parent based out of your fears of what you don't want your child to be or whatever. Um, Yeah. Thoughtful parenting. That's, yeah. I think that's why we touching back on we talked about uh, uh, extrinsically motivated. You know, I I I'm thinking back now. That's that's the way I was raised: be a good employee, work mm-hmm. hard, that kind of traditional stuff, and less thoughtful. I think is the word that popped into my head. You know, it was it was more automatic. You know, you're tired, you're working, there's limited time, there's there's multiple kids. It's not just you and one kid, and sometimes time is short. And uh, it takes took me a long time to learn to be thoughtful in my reactions to situations. And I'm not always, you know, it's not like I'm perfect, but um, you'll learn that there's a if you're working for a goal, then you have to, you have to stop and think about it. And, uh, for just a second, get like switching modes, you know, it's like, okay, I need to get out of what I was doing right now, the urgency thing Mm -hmm. and say, okay, stop. This is a parenting moment. You style before you, before you go back, it requires, I don't know, it requires some kind of trigger or, um, falling back on a, on a goal, on a principle. I'm not sure what I'm trying to articulate here, um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta stop and think when you're dealing with your kids, if you want to have kids who stop and think and are regulated and you know regulate yourself. Well, and hmm. being able to 
step out of like being able to step out of the urgency when you recognize, oh, this is a parenting moment, but taking it one step further and being that person all the time. So it will serve you, the parent, to be calmer and more curious. Like you will, you will approach the world calmly. You will, you know, you won't get like frantic and frustrated and overwhelmed constantly because you're letting everything around you dictate how you feel. Like if you can become Mm -hmm. that person all of the time or most of the time, much as you can, then you will naturally parent that way. Um, instead of there needing to be this like switch of like, I'm going to go be this like overstimulated, overwhelmed, frantic person. But when my kid talks to me, I'll calm down. That's also mm-hmm. not realistic. Like, yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, that's harder. <laughs> that's true. That's, true. that's you know? true. And that's a learned thing. You have that's growth for everybody involved. Yeah. As a parent, you know, you got to learn to, you're right. You can't just turn it on like a switch. Yeah. So, um, I just want to finish off the teenage example real quick is, um, so teenagers are seeking independence and what they want more than anything is trust. So, you know, if you've done your job as a parent and you've taught them, you know, this is the age where, where, you know, giving an inch here and there and, and giving them, you know, a longer leash or whatever you want to put it, giving them some independence, giving them an opportunity to make choices and screw up. And like, you know, parenting is also like, have, expect failure, expect mistakes. Because if you go into parenting, expecting your child to rise to the occasion and make the right choice, then you are constantly going to be disappointed in your child. And that's not fair because I still walk out of the house and make bad choices in the morning. Like it's like, we, mm-hmm. no one is perfect. And your child is still learning how to be a human being. So seeking independence and trust uh, in the teenage years. And, you know, when they screw up, they require the same empathy, feelings being validated, understanding of their perspective about why they made that choice. Uh, Because very rarely does anyone just make a choice with no reasons behind it. There's always a reason and a feeling and a thought and like there's always something and maybe the way they thought about it isn't healthy or conducive to making a good choice, making a healthy choice. And so you Mm -hmm. can, through a healthy conversation, talk through their thought process instead of shaming them and punishing them. And then all they learn is to hate you instead of actually learning how to do it differently next time. Um, Dealing with the the action and not the why doesn't teach anybody anything. You don't learn about them, what's going on in their heads. They don't learn how to make a better choice the next time. Yeah. And just the exercise of why, why do you think you did that? Why, you know, what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that promotes, uh, learning to name an emotion, you know, golly, I don't know why I just felt, blah, 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 and, and, uh, good to start naming emotions. They get older and have words and, and get more mature Then it's good to teach them those skills too. 
real quick, I would ask you if you noticed what was, because you even said that there is a continuum here, right? Of the zero to 18. Mm -hmm. It's not all just mm -hmm. like, no, no human develops exactly at the same level, same age all the time, right? But um, did you notice what was the same, no matter what the age group was, what was the same need in each age group? Well, so to be, for me, it kind of it kind of breaks down to no matter what the age is, you have to treat kids with some respect as a separate human being. You know, they're not just somebody to be bossed around and gotten to school and and gotten ready. Um, the common thread for me is is uh, uh, teaching, keeping things keeping things pretty regulated, so you so you can teach, so you can be a parent to them. Um, teaching teaching how to deal with life. Pro, you know, I, there's other ways to say it, but just uh, it's just teaching, passing on skills that will make them more competent to deal with what the world's going to send them, you know, as they get older, especially after they're 18, you know, mm -hmm. it's all training for when they're adults. In order what to was teach. was I supposed to notice? Yeah. In order, In order to, to teach, to teach though, what do we have to do first? You got to have calm. You got to have a relationship. You have to have a, you know, if it's a, if you, if you look at it like a, parent-child or a teacher-student kind of thing, which is kind of the way I look at it, um, you have to have that relationship where they'll listen. And since yeah. you're a grown-up, you're kind of in charge, especially when they're little, you're kind of in charge of creating that uh, that environment, that relationship. Okay. And then and as they creates, get older, you start to share it. What creates that environment? We're getting there. This is fun. Okay, okay. So in order to teach, you've got to have a relationship. And in order right. to have a relationship, you have to have a safe environment. That's what you said. In order Trust, to have a safe environment, yeah. what creates that safe environment? Ooh, you're trying to get me to say a specific word. The word is trust or? Trust is part of the safe environment. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm self-conscious now. When a four-year-old is throwing a tantrum, what's the first thing you do? Yeah. Do you teach him a lesson? No, no. You calm. Calm him down. How? Ooh, talk to him. <laughs> you talk. You hold. You do. You, you settle his nervous system. Mm -hmm. um, you hand him to his mother if you're not his mother. <laughs> <laughs> right? Here's somebody who can calm you down. <laughs> find an adult to handle the situation. Immediately. <laughs> I don't want to be holding someone else's crying child. Right. Um, you. I don't know. I you don't validate. Know. You validate their feelings. Validate. Okay. That's a new, so, that's a new so fangled word for me. feelings first. Yes. Yes. Empathy, lead with empathy, feelings first. We validate. We have to address the feelings before, and that is what calms the nervous system. That's interesting. The nervous I system think of that with... is activated by emotions. 
once we can move the emotion, whether that's through, you know, yeah. hugging, oh. holding, I hear you. That sounds so frustrating. I'm so sorry that you're feeling that. That's, oh, that's a yeah. big feeling. Just speaking to the feeling. Cause sometimes kids are tantruming. They need to move their bodies and flail. You can't just like, you know, tuck them in. They're just going to be like, let go. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they need to move <laughs> the emotion and that's okay. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. As long yeah. as they're not hurting, yeah. you know, themselves or someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just speaking to the emotion, speaking to the feeling and validating it for them, no matter what age they are. So if they're 18 and throwing a tantrum, we're valid, we're validating. I get how you felt that. I understand like, Oh, that's so frustrating. I hate it when someone does that to me. Yes. Yeah. I hear you that like instantaneously going to calm someone down and be like, Oh, I feel seen. I feel heard. Like you get me, you get it. Okay. We're calm. Let's talk about the behavior. Let's talk about how yeah. to handle that better in the future. So That's that right. You're allowed to somebody. feel anything you want. You're not allowed to act. Yes. If you want to get along in society, you gotta you gotta learn to not act any way you feel like. Mm-hmm. Or, well, and even then, you know, why feeling that way doesn't necessarily mean at hitting your little brother. Yeah. No, that makes a lot more sense. I think of that. Validation brings to me a picture of an older child, but I can absolutely see the value of teaching that at a younger age. That just didn't come to me. Or it's life changing at a younger age. I just want to say that to all the parents of toddlers out there, this will change your life. (laughs) If you do this to your toddler, to your two-year-old, four-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, like your kids understand so much more than we give them credit for. And validating even your infant the research shows even Hmm. in infancy a child who for example hates diaper changes Mm -hmm. if they are responded to like the diaper change has to happen right and so you adjust and you make it as comfortable and safe and you know loving as possible and you're gentle when you're wiping and you know maybe you get the little warmer for the wipes because they're they're sensitive to the cold, they make those? you know, yeah. hmm. um, you know, but the, the tone and the words that you use with a four month old, a five month old, a six month old baby while you're changing their diaper and they're upset about it. It, they literally shown that it, like it calm, it calms the nervous Makes system a big difference. and helps it. It's not necessarily that the child will stop crying or stop resisting the diaper change, but it, the fact that you're still continuing to change their diaper doesn't cause a um, rip in the relationship of trust between that child and that caregiver. So hmm. saying, oh, you know, diaper changes are hard. I know this. Oh, this wipe feels so cold. What is that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And literally just empathizing, verbally empathizing out loud what's happening, observing telling them you understand cool. in a loving tone. Like they've mm-hmm. shown that the neural activity of the infant responding to those vocalizations is, is different and better and bonding versus a child who's screaming and mom or dad is just saying, you know, it's okay. It's okay. We're, it's almost over diaper. Oh, we got to change our diaper though. Oh, we just, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's all shh, shh, shh. 
Like even mm-hmm. those things that maybe we think are like, Oh, that's what you're supposed to say to a baby. Like, you know, re- like yeah. reassuring them mm-hmm. still is not anywhere near as effective as validating how they're feeling. Interesting. Telling them it's going to be okay is not that. the same as saying, I hear you. This is so hard. I'm so sorry. This is so hard for you. I'm going to get you clean. And then, you know, and describing what you're doing while you're doing it for an infant will also help teach body autonomy and body awareness. And anyway, I don't want to yeah. tangent no, too much into that. But. No. I remember yeah. it, it reminds me of a story helping one of your brothers went through a, went, uh, fell and hit, hit the corner of a, the leg of a chair and put a split in his forehead hmm. that required stitches. You see the bone, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, ran him to the emergency room. And the doctor was like, uh, I need you to hold him down while I clean it out and stitch it up. And yeah. so, you know, I'm, sitting there laying on him he was a big kid and but then sitting there talking to him trying to reassure him like that mm-hmm. um while restraining him i forget how old he was three or four or five or something and yeah. just feeling about this tall but fortunately in that in that case that's one case i remember instinctively trying to like, yeah, I know this sucks, buddy. It's not going to last very long. I'm yeah. sorry. I get that. It's not I, like, I, resonates. I don't want to discount reassurance. Like, give your child reassurance, especially when something scary mm-hmm. is happening. Like, yeah. but it's it's so important to also validate that they're scared and that they this is scary. This is very scary. You should, you should be, scared. be scared. Should because be if scared, all you're saying yeah. is, it's okay, it's okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it'll be over soon. You're teaching them to ignore their feeling of being scared. And so in yeah. the future, like your intuition, like when people talk about following your gut and your, your intuition and, and like listening to that, to that internal, like, like, Hey, this isn't safe. Hey, this feels off. You know, right. if you destroy <laughs> like that, that when they're a child, if you destroy that, like nudge, yeah. that gut feeling and that knowledge yeah. of like, this isn't right then when they're adults, like they're not going to, they're going to ignore it. They're going to shove those feelings aside and they're going to end up, you know, making choices based on someone else's opinion or peer pressure or whatever it might be, instead of listening to themselves and knowing what's good for them, what's not good for them. Yeah. So that's a good point. I've heard people talk about that in the educational system in the American education. You know, if you quash creativity or, empathy mm-hmm. or you know if you quash things in small kids then you kind of miss a window you know, it's hard for them to get yeah. it back hard for us to get it back later in life through through growth we're still on the continuum we're sitting here talking about it i'm still learning yeah very cool yeah there's there's a lot of years i wish i didn't you know, everyone is still learning. We're all lifelong learners. It's human condition, but there are a lot of pieces of this that had I, had you known better while you were raising me, I could have spent yep. a lot less time and money in therapy. Absolutely. There are many years true. spent paying for someone yep. else to teach me these things as an adult versus learning yep. them when I was a kid. Um, yeah, learning 
learning general skills to handle things life throws at you. I could spend, yeah. you know, learning to deal with death. Uh, and, and there's just all kinds of things to learn that paying attention to your feelings and stuff will, uh, can help uncomplicate. Not that people don't have grief, but you can deal with things healthier and less healthier with yeah. some teaching when you're little. Yeah. Well, things are, things are absorbed so much faster and more and more deeply into our subconscious from that zero to five range. Um, things yeah. become very like cognitive and prefrontal memorizing, you know, it takes longer to learn things and takes more repetition to learn things. Once you hit that, yeah. that like six, six year old and on. And it's not, again, it's not impossible. You can always, you can always, turn things around. Um, but it will be, it will take more effort at those ages, yeah. um, than the natural kind of absorption type learning that happens from zero to five. Um, build basic stuff. Yeah. I get yeah. That. So I wanted to, I just wanted to touch on, and we've kind of touched on this throughout the way that, that these, um, connection using connection over control, uh, to, to gain cooperation, right? Cause especially in young kids, a huge part of why we end up exerting control and power is that we just need to do something and we just need them to do it now. <laughs> and yep. so you know, this whole episode has been about how to connect with your child in order to one, maintain a healthier relationship because that's the goal ultimately here, but also to gain cooperation. Um, and this also applies in the whole, the entire family setting versus just a one-on-one -on -one parent to child. If you're using these skills as a family unit, you know, whether it's a one parent, one child family, or a one parent, six child family, or two parents, or, you know, whatever your family is using these skills to remain connected, no matter what the situation is, is going to create deeper bonds, deeper trust, and your ability to work through conflict is going to become much faster, much easier, et cetera, over time. Um, and for children specifically, when they're developing these skills and you're teaching them these skills, these relational skills bleed into literally every other aspect of life. So their ability to regulate themselves is crucial to being able to handle what the world is going to throw at them throughout their life. And it's going to determine their ability to find friends and maintain friendships and um, find, you know, romantic partners and, maintain healthy partnerships and and not end up in like in toxic situations you know or being learn, a learn toxic what to walk away from being yeah. an abusive partner becoming a toxic partner um and it also uh it, it actually affects iq so emotional there hmm. is there is a correlation between emotional intelligence and IQ level, um, which blew my mind when I read that. And 
Hmm. Um, so it can actually, I mean, it's not going to be the difference between like a 90 and a 130 IQ score, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a difference. And, uh, a lot of IQ, the IQ tests, a lot of people don't know what that looks like because we're like four when they give us IQ tests. Um, but I retook my IQ test, I think when I was like 18 or something. Um, so I remember vividly what it was and it's almost all problem solving skills. Yeah. Yeah. It measures the IQ a test is problem thing. solving. It's not a math quiz or how to spell this word. It's problem not solving. An achievement test. Yeah. yeah. And so your ability to be confident and look at something and trust yourself to be like how to look at something and go, how does this puzzle go together? Like if you have like all these self-worth issues and you don't know how things relate to each other and like you haven't made sense of the world in that way, then an IQ test is your score is going to, you know, it's going to be your ability to problem solve, which is your resilience in life. Yeah. Right. Cause it's just a constant barrage of obstacles and problem solving. <laughs> Exactly. That's it's all. It's all. How do you deal? How do you? How do you play the cards that you've been dealt? You know, yeah. whatever happens to you. Yeah. So yeah. So I just wanted to to reiterate that how important how important this piece is. It's not just about getting cooperation from your kids. It's not just about having a happier, more conflict free household. Like yes, those are definitely the quality of life matters in those 18 years that you're raising a child. Um, but it also matters for your child's quality of life for the rest of their life. And so I just wanted to touch on that, um, before we end here. Yeah. Do you have any, do you have any like final? Not really. What you're saying there just triggered a thought about, uh, uh, some years ago I read, uh, Daniel Goldman's Emotional Intelligence book, mm-hmm. 90s, dating myself, I think. And uh, it hits on it hits on that, too. The IQ test is a good predictor of success in school, academic success, but not much of a predictor of happiness. People who say, I'm fulfilled, or I, I hate that word happiness these days. It's... Um, you know, but fulfillment and contentment and and general mm-hmm. well a feeling of well being about your life, whatever it is you're doing, mm-hmm. and passing that on the calmness and the uh, you know the relational the re- relational aspect of people. If you're, you're working working with people and not you know if you're not living out in the middle of the trees somewhere and you have to get along with people, uh, EQ your emotional intelligence is a mm-hmm. much bigger prediction better predictor of contentment or, mm-hmm. or happiness in life. Um, not just problem solving, you know, you can problem solving is kind of limited by what you're, what you've been exposed to anyway. Yeah. Those those things, I can see how those things go together and being in, being good at relationships. That's kind of an emotional intelligence thing, right? Directly. That's uh, a better predictor of getting you through life. Happy. Mm-hmm. Yes. 100%. Good talk. Awesome. What a great note to end on. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. 
All right, friends. And if this is intriguing to you or you want to learn more or you want to, you know, you're struggling with um, implementing this in your own parenting life, in your own family life, uh, there are details in the show notes for how to get in touch with me. We will see you all next week. If someone came to mind while you were listening to this episode, or you are wishing you had a friend to digest it with, I would be so honored if you shared this link from this episode with them. I myself have always benefited from community and sharing, and I truly believe that it takes a village to raise a child. Our society has become so independent from one another, and parenting these days is often a lonely journey. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's why I'm here. If you have been seeking a more intentional approach to parenting, but you aren't sure where to start, I would love to hear from you. You can find me and all of my offerings at www.jennyb.co. And come follow me on all major social media platforms. It fills my heart to hear your stories, where you come from, and your big goals for raising the next generation. And don't forget, comment your parenting question on our YouTube channel, The Relational Parenting Podcast, to get it answered on one of our future episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss out. I am so grateful that you are here and always remember you are never alone. I'll see you next week. This show is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. We will discuss things like mental health, abuse, PTSD, and other potentially triggering subjects. Please listen at your own discretion. And this podcast is not intended for anyone under the age of 18.